This is Dateline Marion, the radio program, a public affairs presentation of Monster Radio WGGH and DatelineMarion.com. Now, Tim Petrowich. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Dateline Marion, the radio program. And today our guest is Dr. Steve Webb. Uh, Steve is the superintendent at Goreville Schools, and we've had him on talking about school business. We've had him on as a candidate for state senate, but most recently, uh, Steve has released a new book called Education in a Violent World, A Practical Guide to Keeping Our Kids Safe. And um, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. I want to ask you, talk about how you got involved. We've talked about this a little bit before, how you got involved in school safety and, and working with things like this. Well, with school safety, it, it's been uh, quite a long history of being a school administrator. This is my 27th year as a school administrator, and throughout that time, uh, I've certainly seen my share of bullying and violent incidents in school. But in 1997, when the Heath shooting occurred, I really started becoming interested in this. We had a teacher whose son was, was actually at Heath, and uh, it's one of those instances you'll never forget. When you hear the words, there's been a shooting, uh, it resonates with you. So. Uh, in 2009, I actually became a law enforcement officer, went to the police academy uh, to become a school resource officer for our school because we're rural. It's very difficult to, uh, to find law enforcement officers, period, uh, much less find one that will stay with the, within a school setting. So, uh, and now I'm, I share that job with a, a couple of other people, but uh, uh, at the time, we needed that presence. We were very uh, engulfed in school safety efforts, and uh, from that point, Having a school administrator that's also a law enforcement officer, I, I started booking uh, sessions where people wanted me to come talk about training and my, uh, my philosophy, my, uh, my actual goals to, uh, to how I would like to see school safety in, in schools, particularly rural schools. And so from that point, I started traveling all over the U.S. actually uh, uh, speaking, and I started a program called School Safety 101 that discussed a lot of the rural school issues and uh, actual kid issues, a 21st century kid. And from there, I began writing and interviewing people. I, I visited uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in, in Parkland, Florida. I visited Columbine High School and uh, interviewed community members uh, within those uh, two specific communities. And uh, of course, I've been to Marshall County and interviewed people there. And from those interviews and that research, I put together this book in hopes to, to make people understand that we're, we're teaching a kid with much different experiences than what we had growing up. And that means we can't continue teaching them like we did in the 1970s. I want to get into the book in just a minute, but I wanted to ask you, because you brought up an interesting point. You know, we see a lot of the bigger schools, and even even in a community the size of Marion, they've gone, partnered with the city of Marion to put a resource officer off the police force in every school in the, uh, in the district. But for a school the size of Goreville, where you're at, or other schools of that similar size, that resource is not available. So... Uh, kind of a, a, a unique way of approaching it when the superintendent decides to get trained to be the school resource officer because it's uh, something that, you know, now that's one expense that you can use that money to go towards something else in the school. Well, in terms of, of places like Marion or the bigger towns, even when Marion didn't have a police officer within the school, their response time was going to be extremely quick. And Marion's one of those communities that's big enough to have their sure. own SWAT team. Yeah. So we're talking about coming in with some, some weaponry that was uh, you know, um, amazingly efficient, if you will. Whereas in our rural communities, maybe one on duty, maybe a couple on duty in the whole county, those schools were particularly vulnerable. I spoke at a conference in Missouri. It was Missouri, Missouri Rural Schools Conference. And there was a school that, that 
asked me some questions, and, and we worked together on their safety plan because they were, as a crow flies, about 20 minutes from Branson, Missouri. But he said, the roads are so windy, and there is no such thing as a, as a straight part of that road. It would take someone 40 minutes, the nearest police officer, 40 minutes to get to that, that remote elementary school. And so they had to come up with some, some new ideas on how to, how to protect themselves because that's going, to be a, that's going to be a huge response time for anybody to get there in case there was an event. So have you talked to schools now that are using, you know, following the example and, and having staff members, teachers, administrators, and other people that are on the staff get this kind of training to be the school resource officer within the staff? Yes, I've had calls all over the, all over the nation uh, on, on how we did that and, and some of the steps we took, uh, some of the policies that we had within the school, because it, uh, there are some unique things to that. Uh, but more than that, uh, part of my book was was to change the mindset of people in terms of uh, the kids that we are dealing with today. And uh, that mindset's not just to rely on someone with a weapon saving you. I mean, that's, you ask a lot of people what their safety plan is. They say, well, we've got, an, we've got a great SRO that's great with the kids. Uh, he's there in case we have any issues. Well, that's in case you have an issue. If you have to use an SRO or somebody with a weapon, it's too late. You've already had the violence occur. Um, my entire book is about preventing violence and seeing the signs and when those alarms go off in your head responding to those alarms talk about um you mentioned earlier that it's not the same kids that were educating back in the 1970s and early 1980s when when i went to school you know i was a graduate of high school in 1981 the the mindset is different and you see it now not only in schools but in society as general what are some of the biggest differences there are now in in in, in how to approach a student well there has always been bullying uh and there will always be bullying as long as there's a a, a bigger child and a smaller child or whatever the instance might be uh, there's going to be some sort of bullying. But bullying back then ended when you left the school because you didn't have the constant contact of social media and that ability to anonymously bully somebody uh, and cause them that trauma 24-7, 365 days a year. These, these social catch-alls are no longer the schools and the churches in 2019. It's that social network and that, that uh, insatiable lust to want to be a part of some social networking outside of the norm because you got kids who want to be popular on snapchat or instagram or facebook or whatever and maybe they're not that popular kids so the ones that think they're popular are the the cool kids if you will uh you know that's an easy way to pick on them certainly uh michael carneal was begging to be a part of a part of the group uh, when he was in, at heath high school he he wanted to be a part he wanted the attention of, of specifically a, a girl and he actually brought a weapon to school to try to make himself look more powerful, and they still laughed at him. They still made fun of him, told him he didn't have the guts or whatever it was because he was a small, unassuming person. And uh, he had to up the ante to show him that he had the power, and that's what caused that event. Um, what are some of the things that you address in this book? As you know, I'm just seeing it now, but I'm looking at some of the, the titles. The first one you talk about is bullying, and obviously... Um, uh, the mindset is different when kids get bullied now. You know, this, unfortunately, and it's not a good thing, but when I was in high school, there was a couple of kids that got bullied, and their response was to, uh, unfortunately, end their own life. Now you see a lot more, I guess, where the students that are bullied want to get revenge. Well, revenge, but, uh, but now 
you have to remember the CDC now has has finally admitted that, that suicide is the second leading cause of death for our young people, particularly those in that 15 to 19 range, uh, only behind automobile wrecks. So uh, suicide is a big is a big issue right now that we need to contend with because kids are not handling those failures uh, because they have fewer failures these days. You can be an instant success by just blogging something or by just throwing a Snapchat out or whatever and getting a thousand likes, all of a sudden you're successful and you were able to do that from your bedroom with no interaction with the human beings at all other than electronically. Those are the kids that are coming into our school buildings after all of that that's, that's social interaction through technology and being around humans for the first time all weekend after bullying or sexting or whatever they were, were doing that could have caused that trauma. And that violence is perpetuated then because they're finally seeing that person in the same room. And uh, now we have to show them how we can get even uh, because we can. We have the power. We have a weapon or, or we have the physical ability or whatever. Uh, our, our schools today are set up much like they were in the 1950s even. All of your desks are in a row. You've got a teacher at the head of the room. Uh, with all of these cutbacks that the state of Illinois has has placed on our schools, now we've got larger classroom full of more kids to one teacher to try to get by, uh, particularly rural schools who are underfunded to start with. Uh, society is our own. We're our own problem uh, because we want our kids to be like they were when we were kids, and their experiences are so much different than what ours were. Our guest is Steve Webb. Uh, Dr. Webb is a superintendent at Goreville Schools uh, here in Johnson County in Southern Illinois. He's written a book called Educating in a Violent World, A Practical Guide to Keeping Our Kids Safe. And we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, come back and talk uh, to Steve Webb in just a moment. You're listening to Dateline Mary in the radio program. Picture this. You're sitting at your computer reading the day's news. You click on the next interesting headline only to get... You have reached this month's limit of free stories. Please enter your credit card number to continue. Well, not with Dateline Marion. Dateline Marion is a community news website that covers Marion and Williamson County. And there is no limit to the number of stories you can read. That's no limit this week, this month, or this year. Check us out at DatelineMarion.com for local news when you want it, as often as you want it. Oh, and by the way, it's free. Welcome back to Dateline Marion, the radio program. Our guest is Dr. Steve Webb. He's the superintendent of schools in Goreville in Johnson County here in Southern Illinois. And uh, he's just recently released a book. The book is called Educating in, or Education rather, in a Violent World, A Practical Guide to Keeping Our Kids Safe. We've been talking about some of the differences in school over the last three or four or five decades and the way things have changed. And uh, it, it kind of made me think, you know, back again, I refer back to when I was in school, which seems like ages ago. Um, kids spent time after school, weekends, gathered together, playing ball, riding bikes, doing things like that. Now the after-school activity is go home, get on your computer, get on your phone or whatever, and get on social media. How much does, and you touched on the lack of interaction, is that a big contributor in the way people react when they do get together with other people? It's an extremely big. So the problem that we're seeing today is that there will always be a newer, a better iPhone. There will always be a newer better Android device. And with that new technology becomes different ways of being able to interact with each other without face-to-face -face interaction. We just, uh, we just had a threat in Pope County, and it was done on a, on a device 
using Snapchat, using a, a portion of Snapchat called YOLO, which allows them to anonymously bully or anonymously make a threat to uh, large groups of people. So this threat was made to over 200 people within this Snapchat world. And the problem is not just that there was a threat made. The problem was only one person out of all of those 200 people thought enough to call in that threat and say, hey, we need to ch check on this. And you know who they called? They called the counselor. They called the counselor. They didn't call the police. They called the counselor. People are afraid to get involved in this, this social world because we don't know anything about it. In my book, that's what I address. The fact that we don't know anything about it makes us scared to enter it. And it's time for us to enter this this world so we understand what's going on in our kids' minds. Well, you have so many times when people, uh, when you talk about people being bullied, they, you encourage someone who feels a victim of bullying to go and talk to an adult, talk to someone. But again, if, if you go and talk to someone and report that bullying, it could possibly lead to more bullying unless it's taken care of. And that's what they're afraid of, or being ostracized from their social group. That is, that is devastating to a kid. Uh, they, every kid needs somebody in their corner every kid. So this book, uh, Education in a Violent World, A Practical Guide to Keeping Our Kids Safe, uh, people might think it's intended for school administrators or teachers or things like that. I think it addresses it from all angles, doesn't it? This is for bus drivers, for custodians, for, for teachers' aides, anybody that, that loves and nurtures kids need to understand with, with what I wrote. The research is not that a, a, somebody coming in responding to an event is what's protecting our kids. Who's protecting our kids are those people that are walking down the hallways, establishing relationships with those kids. And I teach in this book the correct mindset to have if you're going to be that nurturing person to protect that kid. And it's also for parents. Parents are living in this social world. These millennials are, are they're living in this social world to the point to where it's, it's not helping their parenting skills. So this book is also for them to get their mindsets right on what it takes to raise a child in this violent world. Chapter two, one size does not fit all. Talk about that, one size does not fit uh, it, all. It's, it's specifically about, you have all of these groups coming in and saying, well, here's what you need to do and, uh, for, uh, for all schools to, to uh, protect kids. You put in surveillance cameras, you can put in uh, bulletproof glass, whatever. One size does not fit all means you have to take your individual region, your your uh, community, the, your location, your remoteness, all of that factors in to how your school board can respond to school safety needs within that, within that district. So coming in and saying that the best way to protect kids is uh, a police officer with a gun is incorrect. There are so many, more, so many factors that goes in. So what I talk about are rural schools versus urban schools, uh, gang violence versus uh, social media-led suicides, uh, typically, in a rural community, people are, are more likely to commit suicide. It's been found in lots of research because they're less likely to go seek help because they don't want that stigma. You know, in a rural community, everybody's in your business. Everybody knows, knows you. Everybody goes to church with you. Everybody knows everybody. And so people don't tend to seek help, and then all of a sudden, uh, they end their own life. And so that needs to be addressed within your planning. Your planning can't be something on a shelf with a bunch of pages in it. Your planning is teachers and custodians, all of your stakeholders together talking about the real issues, and that includes your kids. One of the things that society does now is addressed with a chapter, the title of a chapter, Normalizing the Abnormal. 
things that were not normal or considered taboo 10, 15, 20 years ago are now not only normal, but but praised and encouraged. And it's something that has a serious psychological effect on, on everyone, but especially stu- young students who are impressionable. Most of the normalizing the abnormal chapter, uh, I discussed the, the need for wanting to standardize. That's why we, we have standardized testing, so we can compare a kid to a kid or a school to a school. And the problem with society is they want to, they want to make some arbitrary normal and then gauge everything else based on that norm. And uh, during my sessions, when I do my presentations, my keynotes, I talk about a lot of different cases of where we've stopped violence, uh, extreme violence, sometimes mass uh, mass death, and somewhere after the violence, we learned a whole lot of things uh, about this, the incident or about the kid that we could have stopped this way before. Within that normal range, we would have considered that kid a normal kid. Um, Nicole Savario in Maryland, honor student, going to graduate in a month, in a month, going to graduate in a month, honor student. She wrote in her journal and planned it all out and even interviewed the SRO to ask him what would happen in case you know, somebody were to come in with, let's say, a shotgun. Well, guess what she had purchased? She had purchased an 870 shotgun. She purchased a lot of fireworks and some makeshift bomb-making materials. She wanted to become the first female school shooter. She wrote all this in her journal. Her dad found her journal. They were able to stop that. This kid, under all profiles, was that normal kid that society wants to gauge that around, and she was about to become a mass murderer, and we couldn't gauge that. We couldn't figure that out. That's why we need to take that these individual kids and personalize how we deal with them. Remember what I said, every single kid needs somebody in their corner. A lot of what uh, seems to be addressed is a lot of things that we find uh, in a lot of churches as well, and, and you know... We talk about the separation of church and state, but there are a lot of valuable uh, ideas we can gain from schools can gain from churches and churches can gain from schools. Ultimately, what it seems like is the, the key factor is establishing relationships and getting to know these kids and so that you can see when a behavior changes because you have established a relationship, you can see when a behavior changes that may become a dangerous behavior for one of these students. Certainly. Uh, you take Gabe Parker in, in Marshall County. Gabe Parker was ostracizing himself from the others, calling himself atheist in an extremely Christian community. So he he even posted before this event that he was a member of some United Church of Bacon, which is a church that says, are you tired of being ostracized by Christianity? Are you tired of being uh, told that you're less of a person because you don't believe in God? So he was taking himself and separating himself from the reality to show people he was different. And uh, one day he wanted to show them that he had the power, the godlike power. Uh, you mentioned that in, in the Columbine situation. Uh, those two uh, individuals, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, they wanted to be gods. They considered themselves gods. They even made videos of them being gods and protecting you from the bullies. And that's why you continue to hear the Columbine effect uh, still yet today, is it was a revolutionary situation where they were saving you from the bullies, not just becoming mass murderers, which they actually are. Uh, you have one title, one chapter title here, Children Under Attack. How are our children under attack right now? Well, our children are under attack by a lot of things. One of, and uh, Another chapter is, is on drugging kids. Our children are under attack because we don't understand the world that they're living in. We have, we as a society, uh, want to normalize them when we don't understand that the things that they watch on YouTube at night, the things that they snap each other, their ability to live in a virtual world is something that we don't we don't grasp. So our kids under attack are very simply that 
when it comes to wanting to be that godlike person or when it comes to wanting to be violent, it's extremely easy uh, because you're under the, under the cloak of you've got to go to school. It's compulsory that you be there. So once you get into these confined areas, I mean, you're seeing that in, in theaters, you're seeing that in churches. Uh, we're under attack because we're easy targets. We don't have the mindset to understand when we walk into a facility, there could be some potential violence. What would our, what would our response be? And if your response is, wait till the police show up, then that's the mindset that's got to change. A lot of what goes on has been addressed here in the fact that uh, students have such easy access to the entire world through devices, through social media, through you know having the internet in their pocket, so to speak. And I know there's there's uh, a couple of schools recently that have come into the news, or at least one that's come into the news because they've banned all cell phones in school. Is that the right approach, or is that something that it kind of falls under that? Maybe it's good for this school, but maybe not necessarily good for that That's school. That's back to the one size does not fit all. If they if they were having an issue, then, then certainly they need to address that issue. But we have to remember that we are teaching these kids to, to perform in society, right? We, we're wanting them to be good citizens. And if they are leaving our school after after the seven hours of, of intensive classroom work, going straight to those devices, they're bringing that trauma back in there with them. So we can we can ban cell phones. We can do uh, we can make them wear school uniforms. We can do all kinds of different tricks of the trade to try to make them conform to our world. But when it all comes down to it, we're supposed to be preparing them for the world of tomorrow. So if we're not visionaries and try to determine what that's going to look like, then we're preparing them for the world of yesterday. And that's why we're in such disarray now. We've got some schools that are extremely technology savvy. Some schools with very little technology, very little internet access. And we as society say, well, if you don't like it, move. Yeah, not always easy for everybody. It's not always easy. What are some of the, we, we got to wrap up here, but point to a handful of warning signs that teachers, uh, administrators, school staff, or parents can look at uh, to see that a student may be uh, leaning toward some sort of an activity that could be potentially dangerous. Search history. With a, when a kid searches within their, their Google, and there are different things that can catch certain, uh, certain words as they're searching, uh, those can indicate what they're thinking, what they're researching, what they're trying to find out. I mean, there, there are buzzwords like suicide, kill, murder, those types of things that are within these search engines. And you can go back to see what they've searched uh, if parents will figure out how to, how to do that. And there's also programs out there that capture that. If you can get into search histories of kids, you can see what they're, what's going on in their minds and what's in their world and maybe you can address it. But if you try to hide it because you don't want a stigma surrounding uh, a, a child's mental capacity or mental state, uh, that's the worst thing you can do for that child because we, we do have people that understand that. And we do have people that, that can work with those children, but hiding it just perpetuates the problem. The book is called Education in a Violent World, A Practical Guide to Keeping Our Kids Safe. The author is Dr. Steve Webb. He's a superintendent of schools at Goreville. Real quickly, how can someone get this book? Uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, we were just named the number one new release in four different categories. So uh, it seems to be, seems to be the word seems to be getting out there. Um, but if you just go to Amazon and type in education in a violent world, it comes up immediately. All right. It's a great topic. We could probably talk a lot more, and we may do that uh, in the next few weeks. But thanks for taking Anytime. time with us. Thanks for the help. All right. Dr. Steve Webb from Goreville School. Tim Petrowitz here for Dateline Marion, the radio program. Join us again next Saturday morning. This has been Dateline Marion, the radio program with Tim Petrowitz, a public affairs presentation of Monster Radio WGGH and DatelineMarion.com. Presented every Saturday from 8.05 until 8.30. Join us again next week for Dateline Marion, the radio program.
on Monster Radio WGGH, 98.5 FM, 1150 AM, and WGGH.net.